Hey. Hey. Are you here? Oh, yes, you are. Hello and welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. We are proud to welcome writer, novelist, and screenwriter Roger L. Simon on this very episode. If you're here, you're listening, and we're happy you're going to listen to Roger L. Simon. Many of you know Roger L. Simon as a columnist and an editor-at-large for the Epoch Times. His new book is entitled American Refugees, The Untold Story of the Mass Migration from Blue to Red States, published by Encounter Books. Paul has been interviewing fascinating people for, well, more than 20 years now, which is amazing since he's only 18. Maybe you'd like to be a supporter or a helper of independent media. If you would, simply visit thepaulleslie.com slash support. No amount of love or other generosity is too small or, or too, well, you know the rest. Recorded in Charleston, South Carolina, you're invited to listen to our interview with author, editor-at-large, columnist Roger L. Simon. Hey, let's listen together. Well, Roger L. Simon, congratulations on your book, American Refugees. Thank you. It's a pleasure to meet with you. Nice to meet with you. So, Tell me about what got the ball rolling. What was it that inspired this book? Oh, my life. <laughs> uh, it's a book about the people who moved from uh, blue states to red states, and I did that just over five years ago. I moved from the Hollywood Hills to, uh, Nash to Nashville to the Green Hills area, which is southern suburb. What was it that made you want to leave California? Uh, I could say, let me count the ways. <laughs> but put it this way, uh, there were two major configuring things. One is the state had gone completely wacko from the dreamland that I had moved to right after graduate school. Uh, and secondly, life had become uncomfortable for my family because... I after I started something called Pajamas Media uh, quite a number of years ago now, I got a note in my mailbox said, we know where you live. Really? Yes. And so um took a while before we moved. <laughs> but, it, you know, moving is a ver fascinating phenomenon, uh, although many are doing it, we know that, uh, is that... Uh, Certain people are willing to do it and others aren't. And one of the, one of the things I discovered while writing this book, because I, and, you know, I talk to people about it all the time, um, was that um, a lot of people think about it, but not as many people do it. Hmm. And it's a psychological profile more than anything else. The, the, the other thing, and it's the deeper theme of the book, is that, uh, you know, I'm to the, I was uh, a very far left person when I was young, but I came over to the right and I did very public things on the right. 
And uh, I assume that Nashville was not as much like Los Angeles as it is. Right. And I was not the only one. I mean, so that's what uh, it might be the theme of the book is that the people that moved to the red states were often more red than the people who lived there. It was a big surprise. That is interesting. Yeah. I call them the cavalry in my book because it's my, it's my idea that the, those people are, are going to help revive the red states and, and keep them from turning into blue states which um, the left would like to do more than almost anything. Right. Because that would turn this country into the globalist pseudo-communism as they want. <laughs> Something that I have frequently been bewildered by is when people move, for example, to Tennessee, mm -hmm. and they're escaping some kind of situation a state that has either turned blue or has been blue, and the policies have just gotten insane. Right. And then they move, having complained about crime, leniency of, of you know, bad actors and that kind of thing. Then they proceed to continue to vote. They don't. That's, that's where, see, that's where I, my book... Uh, it's undue, of right. course. Right. I mean, we're talking about millions of people, really. But but uh, that was the conception. I have this friend, uh, Glenn Reynolds, who's kind of well-known guy in Tennessee. He's a uh, law professor at uh, UT Knoxville, and he uh, also is uh, always has been a famous blogger. From he was the guy who started the Insta Pundit right after. Right around nine eleven, right, and he, when he, we would blog at the beginning. We have to have a welcome wagon here in Tennessee for all the people that are moving in, explaining them not to bring their own California values with them, right? Which is what you were saying. It, it turned out that I started to convince Glenn that's not what happened. It, uh, the people who actually moved weren't like that, most of them, because it's a big deal to move. Yeah. Who moves? I, I mean, it's 2,000 miles from LA to Nashville. And you, you, and all kinds of disruptions. You know, some people say, oh, you're all moving because of taxes. Well, sure. Taxes, who wants to pay for? No one. Jeff Bezos doesn't want to pay taxes. So, right. um, <clears throat> But that's only part of it. And actually, the expense of moving, if you think about it, wiped out for anybody for three years any tax advantage they might get. Right. So, so it, it, it's, uh, it, 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 it created a very interesting culture clash and so forth. Uh, so it's very interesting. And um, I, I think we're only beginning to live through it. Because there are going to be more disruptions of this nature. Because, uh, certain, I mean, California in particular, Illinois, uh, New York, New York, of course, all these states have migrations going on within the states. 
because California right. is gigantic, it's like the size of a country and the population of many countries. So you have a lot of people moving to the eastern part of California where they vote Republican. Hmm. You wouldn't know that in San Francisco or, you know, Los Angeles or San Diego, but, you, but in Fresno, it's a different world. Uh, but I didn't want to be there. And I'm not a farmer. So, uh, <clears throat> and how you've been a screenwriter and novelist, and I wanted to go to a creative place. So I went to, we, we chose, actually, we almost came to Charleston, as I said last night. I voted for Charleston, and my wife and daughter voted for Nashville. <laughs> but, well, I, mean, I, I think they're both good places to be. Well, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I moved from Atlanta. And it was either Charleston or Nashville for right. us as well. Well, you're here in Nashville a lot now. We can't, we, because it's growing a lot. We can't be another Atlanta. <laughs> uh, you know, Atlanta is kind of reminds me in a weird way of Los Angeles without the attractions. <laughs> right. I, I get down there for work occasionally, and uh, <laughs> it's not, not my favorite place. Well, you you have lots of people uh, who agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has all the traffic of Los Angeles and the crime, but it doesn't have the movies. Or, it has a little of that, but not much. Right, right. It, it doesn't have that whole uh, beach. It's flat. You know the whole thing. Right. Yeah, but the whole thing of Los Angeles. When I moved out there, right, right after grad school to work in the movies. Uh, you know, that's where everybody wanted to be. You, you know, it was the land of the Beach Boys, right? right? And it was like, and it was for, I would say, right into the mid-80s. And then it started a slide that is now, I think, unbelievably tragic. Yeah. And, and you go out there now, I, I go out again. What's an, I went out working, I worked for the Epoch Times, and I went out there to cover Larry Elder's campaign for governor. Oh, it was it was a kind of nauseating experience to see all the places that were some of the most beautiful places on the planet being desecrated, you know. And the the amount of homeless is staggering. You don't really see it even on television. Right. Because you don't get the sense that, wait a minute, this is going on for a mile. Yeah. Tragic, yeah, and you wonder how, and and you got then the, all the rich people in their Teslas, driving by to the nice houses in the hills that are still nice houses, but you know it, it, how they react to it all. I mean, I, I uh, my daughter has a friend there who's a wealthy girl, so she has a convertible. She lives in Santa Monica, does not have the top down anymore, for fear. Any time she's a, a stop sign or a light, a homeless person will jump in next to her. Hmm. What would the Beach Boys have thought of that? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, how do you think that this is going to change the country as a whole, this exodus, as you call it? Yeah, I, you know, that's a good question because I'm not really, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure. I think the preservation of the red states as red states. And hopefully even more red because uh, he knows in, in 
both South Carolina or Tennessee, which have certain similarities as states, uh, that the people who are governing them were sort of the old Southern Democrats wearing Republican clothes. <laughs> right. And uh, um, that has to change, and they have to become genuinely um, constitutional conservative. Uh, that uh, and then we could work at. I don't know how to revive California and New York. I just don't know. Mm. But to preserving what's possible is really necessary. Well, you know, we're now less than a year from the presidential election. Do you think that this change is it going to? I mean, what kind of effect is it going to have on the? Big election. Ah, well, you know, I, I, uh, I'm supposed to be an expert in that cause, because I do something for the pre for the Epic Times called the Presidential Roller Coaster. We right. run around interviewing candidates. I think we met when I was interviewing Vivek Ramaswamy. Right. And, uh, you know, the more I look at it, I have no idea what's going to happen. I be, Because, first of all, we don't know... I think the mo it's much more likely that we know who's running for the Republican side, that it's going to be Donald Trump. Yeah. I don't know. We don't know who he's going to be running against yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of in a disbelief that it could be Biden. It just doesn't seem like... <clears throat> On the other hand, Biden has a lot of reasons that um, he doesn't want to give up that job. No. Uh, one of which is it keeps him out of jail. Think about that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, That's <an> interesting. <laughs> it's just it's starting to occur to me, you know. It's uh <clears throat> you know, he's he's looking at actually if we had a decent legal system, which it currently don't, <laughs> much more dangerous stuff than uh than Trump. I mean bribery and blackmail from communist China and that's heavy duty stuff. That's treason. Yeah. And uh, certainly, yeah. How do you how do you think Biden's chances are? That's with that I, you know, I, I change day to day, and I, when I, uh, you know, that we're we're recording this close to a New York Times poll, which showed Trump Trump winning in mo in most of the swing states. I kept wondering whether there publishing that to push Biden out. Uh, also, I see looming the possibility of a Michelle Obama candidacy, uh, which I think is the most threatening. Hmm. And I don't know if she'll do it, but if she does it, I mean, obviously Ob Obama dictates a lot to Biden. Well, we're in the thir third Obama yeah. presidency now and that would be with michelle a fourth and fifth <laughs> uh <clears throat> it would be a very different united states to say the least yeah you know one of the things i wanted to add about my book is how much the migration changed me tell me about that <clears throat> well you know I, I a jewish guy grew up in new york and liberal family, father a doctor, went to the Ivy League schools. Uh, naturally enough, religion 
oh, you know, I went to Passover, <laughs> but <laughs> it was something out there, you know. And and when I got to Nashville, I'm looking around, I was thinking, what are all these steeples? <laughs> no place is filled with steeples. Yeah. And, and then, and then, you know, I I joined this club because I I play tennis a lot, and I stay fit, and um, nice people, and a guy I met at an actual political fundraiser just very much after I met. I mean, after I moved there, like weeks. I run into him at the gym, and he comes up and says hi, being gracious, and uh, and he said, "What church are you going to uh, join?" So I, well, what, I said I'm Jewish. He said, he said "Oh, you know." Then, then he said, "Well, which synagogue are you going to join?" You know, I, I, yeah. I vaguely thought about it, but mm -hmm. now, a few years later, I find myself a reasonably active member of Chabad, which is. Of all the synagogues in Nashville, probably the most orthodox. Yeah. And I've paid more attention to God. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's uh, an interesting, and I, you know, I, I, I've, it happened to my wife too. What's the, I, I mean, of course, God is so important, but Tell me about this experience of, of beginning to go to synagogue. What has that done for you? Well, well, right now, as you know, we're we're in the middle of war, so it's in, you know, the it's a heartbreaking situation that's going on now, and so that just amps up everything into a into a wholly different um, area, and you know, I think I think going to any uh, religious institution reminds you to think about the fact that you're not the whole deal. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And I think that's a good reminder for anybody. <laughs> and, uh, it's a, and also, I believe in the statistics that you read that you're happier for it. I have no doubt. And I think that the people... I, one of the things I noted and I write about in American Refugees is how when I first arrived in Nashville, everybody was so nice. I thought, well, there was people so nice. I thought, at first I thought it was a trick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're trying to copy this, you know. Uh, even you go to the Whole Foods and everybody's saying, oh, you, you, you just came in. And how do you like it so far? And uh, great, welcome and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, in New York and L.A., <laughs> that ain't happening. Right. Uh, next. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> and, you know, uh, there's something to be said for it. I think that, I don't think it's because of the revenues, but that is, I think, diminished in the five years I've been here. Second thing that is diminished is there is more crime. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are certain aspects of blue state culture that are moving in. And uh, it's regrettable. And it's something to fight against. Hmm. Was there anything 
writing this book, American Refugees, that surprised you? Uh, more what I told you about. I mean, but I, I, that is, inspired me to write the book more than because I wasn't. I, otherwise, this is a diary, you know. But uh, but I, uh, I, 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 I started to see what it was doing to people, and also the surprises, also some of the antagonism. I got some last night. We're talking to the Charleston meeting. When I, t when I said that thing about, you know, the people who came might have been, and I wasn't saying everybody was or anything, uh, uh, a lady got up irate hmm. and said, and I don't have, I've talked about books, like this is my 14th book, I've talked about books before. <laughs> the, the, uh, she got up and said, um, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, we don't need you people. But kind of, I mean, it was like, you were hard to find the way we are. <laughs> and it was kind of interesting because uh, the guy who introduced me, who is the uh, Andrew, the, uh, he was the chairman of the Republican Party here, also was a refugee from New Hampshire. <laughs> and, and, and he asked before he introduced me how many people in the room, and there were about a couple hundred people. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, were refugees and all these hands went up. Yeah. But, but, but this. Uh, uh, this, you know, Charleston is an attractive place, but a lot of people move to sure. because they come down here and they say, oh, look at all the good food and the beautiful buildings and, you know, uh, and so they move. But but the uh, there's still that other element. That, and I met that element in Nashville, too, you could tell. Mm -hmm. And the other, the other thing is don't... Uh, you know, don't be such a wiseacre with your politics because we had a struggle here to move this state from Democratic to Republican, which is true. They did. And, that's, uh, and most of these southern states, which are now considered, you know, in the pocketbook of Donald Trump, were uh, Democratic states hmm. uh, not all that long ago. For someone who reads American Refugees, what is it that you hope the reader gets out of that experience? Well, I, I, I think a sense of what's happening in America is the large thing. The second thing is I was really, when I was writing it, I got the sense that I might be uh, doing something I'd never done before. I was doing sort of a consumer reports. <laughs> Meaning that, that I was, as I said, there were like, Ten people, roughly, uh, who are uh, who move. One person who moves for every ten of us, you know, sitting there in West Los Angeles, saying, "Should I get out of here?" And I talked to them on the phone. And a lot of them were my friends, and and you know, you'd start to see that there was a certain personality that would move, and a certain that wouldn't. And so, what I think the book uh, provides, in some way, is it. Is a kind of uh, oh he went there first let's see what happens <laughs> thing does it work or doesn't it work and and for that reason I have several states where I had other friends who moved to that I talk about um, as far as closer to California being Arizona Texas uh, Florida obviously um, and the Carolina not so much North Carolina although there is a lot of migration in North Carolina. And and uh, I did not get into the migration that is going on in the Northwest to uh, 
to, uh, excuse me, the migration to, it's coffee, got me. The, the migration to uh, Idaho and mm -hmm. uh, the Dakotas, which is obviously happening. Hmm. But, I, I, you know, I'm a believer in write what you know, and I, I don't know it. I, I know the state of Washington pretty well, which is a divided state. I mean, right. you, you go east in Washington, it's a red state. You go to the Seattle area, and it's bluer than San Francisco. You've gotten to write many novels, nonfiction. You're the editor-at-large for the Epic Times, uh, Oscar-nominated screenwriter, what is the best thing about being Roger L. Simon? Well, um, you know, you're interviewing me a few days from my 80th birthday. Really? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly fit because I play tennis and women. Uh, you know, I don't think about that. Oh, I'm like everybody else. I think, oh, I should have done this. I was a failure that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> people don't regard me that way, but that's, you know, uh, it's, uh, an living the Hollywood experience does something bad to people. Hmm. Movies are great. Uh, the first time I sat in a theater of a movie I wrote and saw people laughing at my dialogue was perhaps one of the greatest experiences of my life. I have to say that. I mean, that's like, Wow, because it's instant feedback. You say, well, they really like that because <laughs> that's people left. But the uh, the overall experience of Hollywood, unless you're Steven Spielberg, and even that for him now, I think it, it's always looking over your shoulder and it's a it, it's a very bad lifestyle, hmm. uh, which you're drawn into by the excitement of making movies, which when you get to do it, because I... I was involved in making of seven movies, and I must have written 25, 20, I mean, and been paid for a lot of them. I mean, there, during the old days, I knew people who for years were be, making $300,000 a year as screenwriters. Not one single script reached the you know, screen. And, and that's a kind of weird life. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I had that experience for a number of different years, I mean, you know. So, uh, you know, I said, but jogging back to what you, the experience of being me is up and down. Um, and now, but I will come to a happy ending in that. While working at the Epic Times, and I'm not, right these days I'm primarily writing nonfiction, writing articles, because I'm so deeply concerned with what's happening in our country. And that makes me happier, mm. because uh, I'm, in my younger writing days, I was doing it to entertain, because I had things to say, but mostly to make money and be famous, which is the motivation of many writers. Uh, and... Now my motivation is, what can I do for everybody? Hmm. And that makes you happy. Well, with all these labels, you know, writer, political commentator, novelist, screenwriter, who, who would you say Roger L. Simon is at heart? The guy, 
You guy, I don't know. I'm all of the above, but but you know, I I miss the excitement of screenwriting, but nobody really likes to go to the movies that much anymore. That's I mean, when I whine to my wife about it, she said, "Who would you want to work with?" What's that? You know, it's nobody. People don't go. Do you go? Not very much. No. <laughs> I went to see Oppenheimer because the subject yeah. is very interesting. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And I thought they did a pretty good job. But the uh, generally, I don't go. Yeah. And, and I think part of the reason is the attention span of people has, huh. has shrunk. Uh, that hurts writing novels, too, or even a book. I mean, I'm, I'm very aware when I'm writing a book now that... Uh, you know, it, it, it's going to come out six months after I've done this. And will, it, will this be relevant anymore? I think, thankfully, the stuff in American Refugees is relevant. But it's, but I'm always thinking about that because the pace of, of events is terrible. We're all suffering from ADD. <laughs> that, that's very true. Well, when I heard about this book, American Refugees, I knew right away this is a book I want to read. It's something that, I mean, I've noticed it. I think it's fascinating. Well, you know, the one last thing about it is this country was made by refugees. Yeah. External refugees. I mean, it, almost all our families and my family, thank God, most of them came over to this country uh, around 1910. Uh, otherwise, they would certainly have been in the death camps. But, but uh, I, obviously, I have an extended family who were right. And uh, but all those people who came from Ellis Island, from all nationalities, made this the greatest country in the world. Of course, they were all vetted, not like the open border now, where no one's vetted. But uh, you know, the refugee spirit, the people who came. Again, it's sort of like the people who come to California to live in Charleston are more in the spirit of the people who came from Italy to live in New York than the people who stayed back in Italy. Now I'm glad people stayed back in Italy because I like to go to Italy and eat the food and you know, go see the paintings. and whatever. But <laughs> there, you can, there's a mentality of the refugee and we're seeing it internally. Hmm. Interesting. Well... I always like to give my guests the last word. Uh, well, that maybe was the last word. I yeah. Mean, because I mean, it's the refugee spirit that I think can revive this country. And, and this country is giant. I mean, forget, it's almost as big as Europe. So <clears throat> it's natural that we have refugees. Uh, and it's a good thing rather than a bad thing. Roger L. Simon. Thank you for sitting down with me. Uh, my pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Great pleasure to meet oh, you yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that was good. I think it was a good end. We thank you and appreciate you dropping in for the Paul Leslie Hour today. You know, you can help the Paul Leslie Hour in our mission to provide independent media content like this by visiting www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. We truly thank you. This is your announcer speaking. 
performance of the Entertainer intro song and Corina Corina outro song, courtesy of John Primerano. Well, that's it for today. So until next time, be safe and be good. <laughs>